Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? We see Sunil dancing up on there. He oh, likes bro, your me, intro so. video is fire. I love it every time I get to hear it. Hey, that's how it is. Shout out to the guy, Jesse Naylor, obviously, the mastermind behind the graphics there. So appreciate you for tuning in. But guys, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We've got a fun show today. Sunil, how you doing? Man? Doing as good as possible, man. We in the thick of the off season, you know, usually when football season is over, uh, obviously 30, what, 30 teams or 31 teams are disappointed only one fan right. base is excited and fortunately we're on the other end of the excitement so it is what it is now we're looking towards the future right exactly i mean that's how it is as soon as uh we lost in the nfc championship game it's just you turn the switch flip the switch you go on to the next thing because you've got something else to talk about now so a lot, a lot definitely going on, but uh, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to break down. So we've got off-season talk, but Sunil, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the – let's start with free agency. Let's start with free agency, and let's talk about kind of this roster as is. Yo, Roma, how about for another off-season, we're going to be dominated with who the starting quarterback should be for the 49ers. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Um, no, not really. I saw it in the script six years ago. So I, I, I've known for a while. I've known as soon as we hired Kyle Shanahan that um, this was going to be the issue, that we were going to have quarterback situation after quarterback situation, that we'd go from Brian Hoyer to Jimmy Garoppolo, not Patrick Mahomes, and then we'd end up here. So I've envisioned this for the last how many ever years, man. Yo, you should have told me. You should have given me a heads up about that Nick Mullins section because that's the one that really oh. threw me threw me for a wrench. Uh, I know, and uh, I mean, it was kind of <laughs> cool seeing the 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 UCL section just like running back pretty much. <laughs> that that was sad, but uh, no. Talking, talking real now. It, it's a, it's definitely a new situation for the 49ers. Somehow they're they're stuck in a quarterback conundrum for what is this the third consecutive offseason? 
2020, you had uh, Jimmy Garoppolo there coming off the Super Bowl loss where, you know, he missed the throw. Tom Brady rumors were there, uh, and the 49ers elected to stick with Garoppolo. 2021, you trade three first-round picks up after failing to acquire Matthew Stafford, after failing to acquire a bridge quarterback to potentially move on, and then trade three first-round picks, only for uh, Garoppolo to remain the starter. And then in 2022, it's Trey Lance. But then Garoppolo returns at the end of the training camp period, and then Garoppolo ends up being the starter. I mean, not starter. He ends up starting games, though, uh, after Lance's injury, and then Purdy, and now the UCL. So we're back at it again, full circle, Lance <laughs> and Purdy this time. Uh, obviously, we don't know the severity yet. Or we know the severity, but we don't know the timeline yet of Brock Purdy's injury, and really, we won't know as the offseason goes along if there's any uh, anything going on there. So it it'll definitely be an interesting uh, storyline to follow. But there's also so much on this 49ers team apart from just the quarterback position, although. The quarterback position is one that the 49ers will likely, not likely, will definitely target this offseason, be it in the free agency or the draft. Yeah, so I kind of want to, I kind of want to run it back a little bit because let's do it. I want to talk a little bit, and if it's okay with you, what I learned from the Super Bowl game that kind of is going to focus in on how I want the 49ers to approach this offseason, whether it be free agency draft and so on and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think there were some big takeaways that actually changed maybe some of my perspective on what the focus should be. So I don't know if you remember from last offseason, Rohan, and I think you were on a similar page to me. I thought there was this big concern about the offensive line. And I thought I was on the, the side of the offensive line will be fine. I thought that they would be uh, adequate even a, a bit above average, which I think ultimately they 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 proved. I think the 49ers offensive line was one of the better offensive lines throughout the season. But what I learned from the Super Bowl is that there's a different level to what a dominant offensive line looks like from just a pretty good offensive line. And for me, that's one thing that I, I realize is an a dominant offensive line changes the trajectory of your team. It gives your, especially a dominant offensive line with a quarterback that could get the ball out quick. You could negate a, a dominant defensive line, right? So that's, I think, the biggest takeaway that I took as far as a personnel, um, as far as personnel is now I really want to see upgrades from the offensive line to where we could take a next level. I don't think we could come in as standard operating procedure. Like the offensive line can't be the same um, as it was last season. It has to be better. Otherwise, I don't know if we take that next leap. Right. And one other thing that I want to point out when it talks, when we talk about the offensive line, real quick, do want to give a shout out to the two people that saw Bryant. Thank you for tuning in. 49ers Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in. But one thing I do want to point out about the offensive line, the reason why it's so tough to make a Super Bowl, the reason why it's so tough to construct such a an elite offensive line is because offensive linemen are not let go. You don't see good offensive linemen hit free agency. You don't see good offensive linemen hit the market. Why? Because teams understand how rare it is to have a strong offense. They're not 30 good centers in the end, like 30 above average centers in the NFL. Right. No, they're maybe a good crop of maybe 10, maybe eight to 10. Same with right tackle, maybe eight to 10 that you can win a Super Bowl with. 
some other positions, maybe not. But like, you know, receiver, there are 60 good receivers, 60 top receivers that really you could win with maybe. There are more, there are a lot, a lot of good teams where, you know, you see Brandon Ayuk, for example, on our team could be a receiver one on another team uh, and things like that. So when you talk about it, I, I, I think that when you talk about the offensive line, it's important to note how teams build their offensive line strongly. The Kansas City Chiefs, they had a couple of big signings. They 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 pounced when uh, people became available in uh, Orlando Brown, their left tackle, and Joe Tooney, their left guard. They spent money there uh, for both – well, uh, spent capital for Orlando Brown, who will require a big-time deal this offseason, and spent money for Joe Tooney. But they drafted Creed Humphrey, one of the best, if not the best, centers in the NFL – and they drafted uh, their right guard as well in Trey Smith. And then in the Philadelphia Eagles, who have the best offensive line in football, they drafted Jordan Mailata, they drafted Lane Johnson, they drafted Landon Dickerson, they drafted Jason Kelsey. And I don't, I don't, I'm not exactly sure if they drafted Isaac Sayomalu or not, but he was a guy who they developed as well. They have a strong group, and it really comes via the draft. And no, normally, when you get these these talents it's near the first round near the second round uh in in higher rounds because you're not necessarily good that year or you 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 Mm -hmm. pounce on players falling because offensive line is a commodity the teams always will overreach for tackle over overreaching for some other positions like maybe safety because of how important it is so I agree. I think that you have to have a strong offensive line to win uh, Super Bowls, to win football games. But you also have to understand how that strong offensive line comes to fruition and how tough really it is to really command that strong offensive line. So if you don't mind, Rohan, I'd like to focus in on that because you made a great point that I think gets overlooked a lot. Um, The level of talent on these offensive linemen, I think there's this narrative that you could find a good offense lineman in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, and they can, you know, go out and be, uh, you know, play at a level that's elite. And, you know, Jordan Mailata is somebody that would fit that narrative. He was a late round draft pick that ended up being like one of the better um, tackles in the league. Uh, But that's not accurate, right? It's usually first and second round guys that end up being, you know, the stalwarts of the offensive line. And, you know, even if you look at the 49ers, I think for me, I used to look at them and be like, they're not very good at picking offensive linemen in the first rounds because, uh, you know, obviously McGlinchey, you know, the fan base is kind of out on McGlinchey, but McGlinchey is a top 10 right tackle, right? He's going to probably be the highest paid right tackle out of this free agency class so they he didn't and obviously he is really good in run and run blocking but isn't the best necessarily in pass blocking but overall as far as compared to other right tackles you can do a lot worse than him and then if you look at the other two i think stalwarts on our offensive line obviously um trent williams who's a first round draft pick and aaron banks who's a second round draft pick so those three we actually had the makings of what could be a, a really good offensive line because we had three out of the five in first or second round talent. Now I think both you and agree that McGlinchey's probably gone. He's going to be too expensive for what the 49ers um, are going to afford or spend on their offensive line. But this is kind of what my mentality is because do you agree with me that they, they do need to upgrade? Like they can't just, 
Like just putting Colton McKivitz in at right tackle isn't going to make them closer to a Super Bowl. Would you agree or disagree with that? I, I agree in that I think that if you don't re-sign Michael Clinchy, your right tackle will not upgrade it likely in 2022. I don't think that there's an upgrade if you don't go and get a free agent. Got you. So that's where that's where I think my strategy would be. And I know you said what free agents. I think if we could focus maybe on specific groups, how we Let's solve that, and yep. we'll start with the offensive line. So what my strategy would be, and this actually comes from a lot from your input, is that originally when we first initially last earlier this uh, off season or, or last off season or earlier in the year, your thought process was Spencer Burford ultimately was going to be the right tackle of the future for the 49ers. And he obviously showed some promise at right guard, but definitely needed some room for improvement, but he's been a tackle his whole senior year. Um, you know, he was a tackle in high school, mostly on the left side, but you know, he has the frame, he has the size and now a little bit of experience in the NFL where I think that ideally moving him to right tackle would give the 49ers the best options to actually upgrade. Because I do think that you could find some free agents that you could bring in at a reasonable cost, which would be less than a right guard at, I mean, less than a right tackle at the right guard position to really maybe solidify the right side with Burford at tackle, bring in a free agent right guard that, um that you can you know put there and and not have to do like the rotation like they did last season and then either draft or bring back brendel or once again based off of your uh your analysis maybe zakiel if he's ready i think that ideally that would be what i would want like have move burford to right tackle bring in a free agent right guard because i do think there's some available that fit age wise prime wise that could be in the 49ers budget and then either bring brendel back or move zakiel into that and i think that could have the potential at least upside to elevate um the offensive line which i do think is needed um this offseason yeah, I think that it's it's definitely intriguing points uh, that you make. And I want to uh, go back to your philosophy where you talk about how the first-round pick, second-round picks obviously have a higher hit rate. I think the offensive line, it, it, I think it matters even more than other positions because of how important it is in that the reason that teams take offensive linemen and specifically tackles in the first and second round is because they project better and they have a higher floor than potentially the late round picks. Because when you have a higher floor, you're able to be inserted into the lineup immediately, and that provides you an, a, at least a starting caliber option at a position likely devoid of much talent. But when you go to the fourth, fifth, and sixth round and uh, uh, draft offensive linemen, it takes this period of development. They're not necessarily as refined unless there's a medical concern like there was with Trey Smith. They're not as refined. Jordan Mailata wasn't necessarily refined when he first started. Mm -hmm. It takes development. And so there's this level of patience that is required. But some teams like the 49ers, maybe like the Eagles and like these, uh, like these, uh, like the Cincinnati Bengals, perhaps, they don't have that level of patience because they're looking to, uh, they're looking at the window right now and so that's where you create this conundrum of trying to develop players while also trying to compete right now that's why the 49ers essentially redshirted players like nick sakel redshirted players like jason poe to potentially prepare them for this season while having a stopgap option like jake brendel who by all means could 100 return and i've actually advocated for it 
but you know you have the stopgap option, a guy who you believe can play until you develop other guys that were drafted in later rounds to potentially fill that role and play a similar uh, play at a level similar to those. On the Spencer Burford right tackle topic, I think it's intriguing. I've said it before earlier this season. I don't think I'm as bullish on the idea, though, as I was earlier in the season. I do think that Burford still requires a good amount of refinement, and I think that it might make it uh, the, the learning process a little harder if you move him to right tackle. I do believe that his potential, uh, he could be a very high-caliber player in terms of his potential if he was a right tackle, but I do also think the 49ers prioritize the floor, and I think his floor might be higher at right guard given the uh, familiarity at the position and moving positions, switching positions once again after adjusting to the NFL in year one might have a, a, a little bit of a longer learning curve, which I don't know if the 49ers can necessarily afford if they're trying to have this championship window, which is why you see the reports that they're potentially grooming Colton McKivitz, a guy who essentially spent this entire last year playing tackle after flip-flopping positions. He is the guy who they're grooming to potentially start at right tackle. Yeah, and I just – I don't know if it's enough. I mean, we've seen McKivitz, and McKivitz is a serviceable player. He's somebody who's come in in spot duty in big games, right, uh, namely uh, two years ago against the Rams in, you know, week – I think it was 18 or something like that where he came in when Trent Williams was out, and he played decent against the Rams in a must-win game that ended up being the game that got the 49ers into the playoffs. Um, but long-term – even stopgap for a year, does that help? And I don't know if it does because I don't think whomever the starting quarterback is, whether it's Purdy, whether it's it's Lance, I think that when you go up against dominant defensive lines like the Eagles, like I think the Chiefs would be like, I'm looking at it from the perspective of to win a Super Bowl, right? That's my right now at this point, I'm that's what I'm looking for. How does how do we get this team to win a Super Bowl? I don't know if McKivitz, Burford, Zakiel, Banks, and Williams is a good enough offensive line. I want to I want to um, give a name to you, and you tell me. I don't know if you know much about this player, but go for it. Let's say if we do right tackle Burford, Ben Powers, uh, guard okay. out of out of uh, Baltimore, has played both left guard and right guard. Twenty seven years old, um, right. probably be you know eight or nine million a year. But if we could move him into right guard, and whether it be Zakil or, or Brendel at center, him at right guard, and then Burford, to me, I think that that can give you the opportunity because you have a good, reliable veteran player there in the middle of two players that are learning. And I think that that's where we can actually see an elevated level of play from the offensive line in that type of situation. What would you think about that? And and Ben Powers is just a guy that I, I look at because I know the Ravens are a very run-first type team. So he would be somebody who I think could uh, – and they're used to having – he's used to having a scrambling quarterback. So, you know, he's used to, you know, playing in, in a probably similar type system as the 49ers. But let I just think right guard, you could find a, a, a veteran that is more of an upgrade. What would you think about a strategy like that? Do you think that that could elevate the offensive line to the point that it significantly changes the 49ers' ability to make it to a Super Bowl? Ben Powers is intriguing. He's a he's a solid player. 
I, I just think one of two things. One, I don't think it's necessarily realistic because the 49ers showed last year in the Lake and Tomlinson uh, news that really they, they don't they don't prioritize guards as much as they prioritize tackles. And so I think that and, and centers as well. I think they'd be more, more incentivized to put out money for a center or a tackle than they would be for a guard. And Ben Powers is likely going to command a high salary and should be in high demand on the market, which might price him out really of San Francisco's range. On top of that, Powers, I'm assuming, is going to likely look to play left guard because that's where he has strongest season and where he could likely command the most money uh, going into the offseason after playing a really good year in 2022 at left guard. So I'm assuming that he's preferring left guard, and I don't know if it would be the smartest move to move a guy who had been playing strongly at left guard to right guard after paying him $10 million a year. I understand the versatility. That's just where I'm coming from in terms of I don't know how realistic the move is from the 49ers sense. And the last part I'd say is Baltimore is definitely a run first scheme, which is why powers would be intriguing as a run blocker, but he's also more capable in a power zone, uh, in a power run scheme rather than a zone run scheme. That's what Baltimore runs and uh, has at least has run under Greg Roman. And I know the concepts can also obviously be um, uh, co like complementary to each other, but I don't know necessarily if it's the best scheme fit and also the best position fit for the amount of money that you have to put out for. So what would be a, a realistic path to upgrading this? Because do you agree, let's say, if they stand pat, if the 49ers are going to just do what they're what they're going to do, which is McKivitz, Burford, let's say Zakiel, Banks, and then Williams, are you looking at that 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 offensive line does anything to get the 49ers closer to the Super Bowl? I don't think so necessarily. I don't think so, but I also I have to view it in two ways. One, what's realistic, and two. You have to understand also what the what the situation that the 49ers are in and an unwillingness, not necessarily an unwillingness, but I don't know if it's as smart if you just continuously push $60 million into the back uh, year after year because it just hurts you financially. And you see teams like the Saints trying to get out of that situation and then essentially hurting their roster by losing key players. I don't know if that's the smartest way. So to me, I think it's you have to figure out a way to upgrade the roster, but within the confines of what you have right now. And understanding that offensive line is a position where if you look to in free agency, you're likely going to overpay. I think the smartest way to try and upgrade the offensive line is what I said earlier. It's in the draft. In the draft this year, there are several um, mid-round kind of tackles that I think intrigue me. Uh, I've watched guys like Wanya Morris. There's guys like Jalen Duncan, Matthew Bergeron, guys who you can go and potentially even trade up for given that teams normally do reach for tackles uh, potentially you can trade up for because you have the capital to do so and I think it's a position you should address Colton McKivitz he is um, getting closer towards free agency and I don't think he's going to command a high salary but you want some competition there Jalen Moore is in good competition he's not a good tackle he's more of a guard I've said that since he got drafted and it's been proven and so I think that Moore shouldn't be your backup tackle and I think you should instead go for a rookie and see uh, who you can develop there because the point is you're trying to find out who you can uh, 
what the solution is at right tackle for the future. And if you, I, I do think that you should provide Spencer Burford with some reps at right tackle to see the comfortability, to see how that flows. But I also think you should draft a tackle, maybe even a player who's played right tackle predominantly in the NFL to provide McKivitt some ample competition, some younger competition, and potentially even find the solution for your future. I think that there are a couple of guys in the second round, in the late second round, and in the third round, uh, second, third round range that you could find that the 49ers, those are realistic options that the 49ers could target and they could go after and potentially look to upgrade in that way. You're not going there. If you, like I said earlier, if you don't re-sign Mike McGlinchey, you're not going to upgrade this offensive line drastically this offseason. It's just not possible because if you're not re-signing Mike McGlinchey, you're not going to go after a, uh, a starting level or not a starting level, but a high priced right tackle on the open market. And I think that the 49ers are also set with three of the positions, the, the two guard positions and the left tackle position. While the center, I, I do believe Jake Brendel can be brought back for a relatively cheaper price than what uh, people might expect from a all uh, a Pro Bowl alternate. So I think that those four positions, if you do re-sign Brendel and then have Nick Zakel and Jason Poe compete there, or if you don't re-sign Brendel and have Zakel and Poe compete there, I think that you solve the right tackle position by having McKivitz compete with a rookie. I think that that's the most realistic situation given the 49ers cap situation and also the needs at other positions, which we'll address soon. Yeah, I guess for me right now, I prioritize the offensive line as a must upgrade. And from what you're from your plan of action, which does is the most reasonable route. I think we're saying that the 49ers can't win a Super Bowl next year. I don't think so. I, I mean, we'll get we'll get to that soon, uh, and we'll get to that soon because you have to understand the 49ers are dealing with this situation, but they're not the only team dealing with this situation. When we talk about the amount of talent that the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles are going to lose this offseason because of how they're going to be outpriced on the open market, you have to understand – Teams have to capitalize on their windows. It's not like uh, teams can consistently it, – It's I'm not saying teams can't consistently be good, but you have to consistently find ways to replace talent and to figure out how to draft. And, and really, it's coming down to how efficiently can you draft. And if we're talking about upgrading the offensive line or keeping an offensive line that can be a top-10 unit – but, I mean, there is a solution on the board. It's I, we're, we're talking as if uh, Mike McGlinchey will not be retained, but the solution on the board is to retain him. Uh, I mean, if if you want to if you want to have continuity and try and keep an offensive line uh, at that caliber, I think the solution would be to retain him or to likely go after. I mean, if the the number one option could be Caleb McGarry, a, a guy from the Atlanta Falcons who's a year younger. The option that I'd say is a dark horse is Jawan Taylor, a guy from the Jacksonville Jaguars who's only 25, still has potential, and is a strong run blocker and a uh, developing pass protector, but a good pass protector, had a solid pass protecting season this past year. He's only 25, and he could see a Traverius Ward S deal. The issue is the tackles are likely going to get a good amount of competition. They're going to have a high market, and that's where the 49ers need to decide, are we going to likely, do we want to overpay for a tackle and put ourselves into that situation for the next three to four years? Because if they don't want to do that and they prefer to go a different route, then you're going to see a guy like Colton Kivitz or maybe even a rookie end up being the starting right tackle. And I think it's also important to understand that when we look at the formulas of the Super Bowl teams, they have strong offensive lines, but we also need to know, like, it, it's strong offensive lines are very valuable. They are all, arguably the second most valuable thing behind a strong quarterback. But 
you have to understand that the 49ers also are in their within their confines and can also have also shown the success without necessarily elite caliber uh, uh, tackle play or elite caliber offensive line play before. And when you talk about this unit that will improve at certain positions in terms of Aaron Banks will likely get another year, Burford should improve um, and, and things like that. You, you're you're you you could see some improvements from a unit that was already a top fourteen ish unit, maybe even top ten unit in twenty twenty two. So let's say let's say that we go with your thought process. Keep Burford at guard. So we have three positions solidified with Burford at right guard, Banks at left guard, and obviously Williams at left tackle. So center and right tackle right now are up for grabs, right? Out of those yeah. two positions, which is more realistic to be able to upgrade through free agency, um, and or and which one's more realistic that we have an upgrade already on the roster? Upgrade is a it's a tough word, right? Because it's really it is sometimes tough to upgrade. I mean, it, it will be tough to upgrade if you're looking to try and upgrade a Pro Bowl alternate player uh, in Jake Brendel. And I'm not going to say Jake Brendel's a Pro Bowl player. I don't believe that myself, but. It's going to be tough to upgrade because, I mean, if you talk about the top centers on the market, a lot of them, I mean, it's questionable uh, really as to where you'd necessarily go. And so to me, I think that, uh, I mean, what I would do is I would re-sign Jake Brendel and have him compete with Nick Sakel and uh, have him compete with Jason Poe at that center spot. Why? Because you already know what you have in Jake Brendel. He's somewhat of a known commodity now. You've seen what you've you've seen the level of play that he can have. If one of those two young guys who you I know the 49ers can believe that Nick Sakel can be their center of the future. I've had that belief since he was drafted as well. If you can if you can show that he's the guy, if he plays better than Brendel, then you have good confidence in that guy going forward. I had assumed that that could be the planet center. Um, what I, kind I, of contract would you give to Brendel? Because here's the thing when it comes to free agency that we're going to have a problem with throughout is right now there's four other teams in the league that know the 49ers personnel really well as well, right? There's yeah. the Texans, there's Miami, there's the Jets, and now um, the Titans as well that all are going to be looking to pick guys from the 49ers. So what kind of contract would you give to Brendel? Because if he's in competition, you probably don't want to sign him to a long-term type thing because obviously you're, you're looking for the, you know, the you're the Zakil or whatever to beat them out and, and be the long-term solution. So how do you find that happy medium where you're able to retain him, but also not be tied to him? Um, uh, oh, uh, in that sense, it'd be, I mean, obviously it'd be a shorter term deal. I'd assume a, uh, a deal worth maybe one to two years, uh, I'd say, uh, but the guaranteed money would all, all be pretty much confined to that one year, uh, to the first year. I'd, I'd say a deal, maybe a, a one year, $5 million deal, maybe a two year, $10 million deal with, if it's one five, maybe, uh, I mean, I wouldn't mind if it's a one five, one four fully guaranteed deal, and then if it's a two ten, two ten with five million guaranteed, something like that. I mean, I wouldn't mind that deal for a thirty year old center, uh, in that you essentially are guaranteeing one year uh, uh, of money. But again, it's how the forty ers want to go into the situation in terms of the center play. Like I said, I personally, I would bring him back. I, I think that he provides you a at least 
a known commodity at a position that you don't have known commodities as. And if someone beats him out, then you have a better option. If they don't beat him out, you have an option that you know that you can work with and other options that you know that you can continue to develop. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, what was, so I, I, I think for me, I'm really emphasizing the offensive line. What do you think, what, what position group are you really emphasizing for the, to see the kind of step forward you want to see from the 49ers? That's a good question. I mean, the first, I mean, to me, the, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details top three positions in uh, in terms of building a Super Bowl caliber team that we've seen in the past and for the 49ers philosophy, strong defensive line, strong offensive line, strong quarterback. The 49ers, they're going to have to figure out that quarterback situation. And if we talk, we'll talk about quarterback in a little bit in terms of what they can do. But offensive line, to me, I think that that, that is very important. But I also think that you have to understand the way that teams normally build their offensive line and how the 49ers are confined right now with the uh, not only with the cap space that they have, but with the uh, without the affinity to overpay for the position and also with the draft potentially pairing out to have strong tackles in the second and third round. So to me, I would prioritize the defensive line. I think the defensive line took a step back in 2022. I'll be the first to say it. I was wrong. I, I thought this defensive line would be better than 2019. That's wrong. Uh, I, I thought that the amount of depth would overcome the uh, amount of star talent that the team had in 2019. And no, instead, uh, Nick Bosa was, uh, he had the best year of his career, and Ark Armstead was still very capable when he was playing. But the supporting cast, while uh, definitely flashing at times, Charles Omeni, who had a very good pass rusher win rate, he was a strong pass rusher, and I'd look for uh, the 49ers to bring him back. But the remainder of the cast, Samson Ebucom, he was up and down as a pass rusher, good run defender, but up and down as a pass rusher. And uh, the issue is when you have so much depth, Depth, but not necessarily enough star talent, you're looking at who's on the field. Uh, the depth is cool, but it's the four that are on the field that are making the impact, and you need the impact to happen more and more often. The sacks weren't necessarily there this year. The pressure rate wasn't as high as you'd want it to be. For a team predicated on a strong defensive line, that's where they're investing a lot of resources into. And so to me, I think that you need an improvement there. 
a couple of guys that I'd look at. Uh, I, I personally, I'd go for the defensive tackle position. I think that that provides you a lot more value because you can be versatile with your guys, play them the one tech, play them the three tech, maybe even the five tech with the way the 49ers like to interchange their defensive linemen. My number one guy would be Deron Payne. Deron Payne will be expensive, but he's young. He fits the 49ers formula. They've looked to go younger in free agency, and he's a three-down player. That's the thing with the 49ers. They have Ark Armstead and Nick Bosa, both are three-down players, but they don't have many three-down players. They have guys that they rotate for pass rushing situations, for run stopping situations. And while uh, it it works, it creates sometimes unfavorable situations where you have guys uh, stopping the run or rushing the pass when you want maybe another personnel in based on what the offense does. And so having those players that you can depend on, especially when it comes to the postseason to make plays, I think that's extremely important. Jerron Payne's a guy who can be a three down player, has shown uh, significant flashes of pass rusher, but also as a run stopper. I think that that's valuable. And defensive tackles, they're becoming more of a premium in the NFL. You're going to see teams look to prioritize that. Why? Because it's becoming a more pass-happy league. So you want the guys up front to really create havoc. And in lighter boxes, because teams are playing a lot more of the nickel formation, you want the guys up front to be able to stop the run. And Deron Payne, that's something he can do. A pairing of him and Armstead takes pressure off of Armstead and potentially some more double teams off of Armstead, allowing him to operate to where his contract uh, stays, essentially uh, uh, says so. And then you have, yeah, exactly. And then have Deron Payne be there as well, a guy who can wreck the game. I think that he'd be valuable. Uh, Another guy who I think that showcased his talents this year was Javon Hargrave. He's a little older. He's already 30 years old, but I think he's been one of the more underrated players. And if the 49ers can get either at a good uh, at a good deal for the next few years, I I'd, I'd definitely be happy with it. I love the Deron Payne signing. Like that would be the dream. You know how like Charvarius Ward was the one big name that they brought in, or the one splurge that they brought in. If they're only bringing in one splurge, I'd want that splurge to be Deron Payne because to me, you put Deron Payne, match them with. Um, Arik Armstead and Bosa, it doesn't really matter who the fourth option is there. You could rotate that that other um, edge, and I think you'll be fine because the 49ers are always able to develop that one other player. Right. And, and, and But the problem is Kinlaw has been not, not what we expected Kinlaw to be, right? He's a first-round draft pick, top 15 draft pick that hasn't played anywhere close to that ability. And, that, and I think it's time to just – give up on Kinlaw as far as depending on him in any type of way. And the way that you do that and rectify that is go out and and pay somebody what you would have paid Kinlaw if he ended up becoming the player that you'd want him to be. So uh, I think that's where, I think that's where Deron Payne comes in, bring him in, kind of wash your hands with Kinlaw and just be like, you know what, this guy didn't pan out the way that we wanted him to, but we still need that position to be uh, be settled, and uh, to me, I think that I think that solidifies your defensive line, where you can put minimum contract guys alongside those three players, and and be still a top defensive line in the league. Um, in, in fact, even better than they were last season. I agree. I mean, when you talk about Kinlaw, 
I'd be surprised, honestly, at this point, if he's a starter for the 49ers next year. I think Kalia Davis, the rookie who was a sixth-round pick and essentially redshirted his freshman year because of a torn ACL, I think he's going to be – he's a better player. Uh, or I, th- I think he's at least going to show more than Javon Kinlaw um, when it comes to OTAs. He's got more explosiveness. He's got unique bend, and I think that he he can provide more as well as a guy who can be there uh, as, a, as a key reserve for the 49ers in 2023. Kinlaw, I think this is his last – Last year in a 49er uniform, barring any unforeseen change in his pl- level of play over his last year. I don't think that that fifth year option gets picked up by any means. That's a lot of money, and I don't think the 49ers are going to put themselves without flexibility with Javon Kinlaw. Um, it's it's really unfortunate how his, his career has gone because of the, the knee injuries, because of all the injuries he's encountered. But I, I, I don't think the 49ers should look to go into next season with Javon Kinlaw as their starter at defensive tackle. There's still too many technical flaws, and with the athletic, not athletic issues, but with the injury issues alongside the technical flaws, it brings together a player who I'm not very confident in if he's the starter. But there are several options for the 49ers, and I think that the defensive line is where should they should look to make that one splash. I think they'll make one splash for sure, but I think that that one splash – Defensive line is where I'd look. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. You, I don't know where the 49ers cap money is at. I know, I know, based off of from what I've heard from Jesse, right now they're what like at eight million or something like that. They yeah, have, around ten. They, yeah, if they ha- if they do, you know, a few of the younger guys that they could, you know, mess with their contracts like CMC, um, you know, uh, Fred Warner would be one. Warner and like, let's say they do three contracts like that. They'll be at like 38 million. I yeah. think Deron Payne probably is like gonna be the most expensive, probably one of the more expensive defensive linemen yeah. there. So if they do to me, I think both you and I agree that's like the number one choice. But let's say he he gets priced out, he gets a big contract somewhere else. The 49ers aren't willing to pay him or can't pay him the type of money that would retain him. Another option I would look at. I know you said Hargrove. I think that would be a good, a good like runner up, but maybe a guy like Yannick Ngakwe bringing him yeah. in and, and solidifying the edge so that there's some help there for Bosa. Um, because, you know, we do have Kalia Davis, like you mentioned, another guy that we could, we could bring back that I think uh, can show potential is Ridgeway. He's somebody who unfortunately was injured a lot this season as well, but he's somebody who, can potentially be a, a tackle there that that can be productive, but I do think we need three stars, and we have I, I, I put Ark Armstead in that in that position of a star, even though his play is kind of teetering on that level. But we definitely have Bosa. I put Ark Armstead there. We need another guy that's as impactful. Obviously, per pain, like I said, that's number one choice. But do you think we could still upgrade if we bring in a guy like Yannick Ngakwe? Can that give us the push that we need also to, to be an elite defensive line. This might be a hot take. I'm not as high on Yannick Ngakwe as a lot of people. I know a lot of people do like Yannick Ngakwe and have him as a top priority. I think, though, if the 49ers are going to shell out a lot of money, they should go with the philosophy that they've been going with when they're going to pay money, like guys like Bosa and Armstrad. That's players that are three-down guys. 
And I don't think Yannick Ngakwe profiles as a three-down guy. He hasn't been a very good run defender his entire career. Wasn't in Indianapolis. He's a good pass rusher, a very good pass rusher by uh, by that. But he's a rotational piece, and that limits the defense because he isn't a good run defender, and you don't want him to play in run defense. And so to me, I don't know if I'd pay $15 million for a guy who just pa- rushes the passer when you have a guy who was amongst the top in pass rush win rate in Charles O'Menehue, who ends up being a, a, a fairly solid pass rusher for the limited role that he plays at a significantly cheaper salary. And so to me, that's kind of where I'm looking at uh, when it comes to Yannick Ngakwe. I'm not as high. I would go for a player that's a three-down player, and I would also so give us a name. Give us a name outside of Javon- Deron Payne. Javon Hargrave would be my second guy because he's a three-down player and he plays defensive tackle, which I think is a little bit of a tougher position to to necessarily upgrade. Uh, I think defensive tackle, like I said, is going to become a premium because of how the league has become pass-happy. I think he's he's a guy that you could look for. Uh, Some other guys that I, I may like. I know um, it was there, uh, and I don't think New Orleans brings him back. Marcus Davenport would be interesting as a defensive, uh, defensive end. I think he'd be a little cheaper. If you're looking for those pass, uh, pass rush type of guys, I know Dante Fowler is out there, and he had, a, I think, a six-sack season. He'd be a little bit of a cheaper option with familiarity with Kyle Shanahan, obviously, from the days back in Atlanta. I think that there are a couple of guys like that, and I think that you could look to upgrade um, by getting those players uh, who, who could be potential three-down uh kind of options uh so that's kind of where i would probably look over a guy who is a very good pass rusher for sure but not necessarily the best run defender if i'm going to spend a a significant amount of uh, money towards it now somebody that your boy marco brought up well i should say our boy um right now washington is not sure they're going to pick up the fifth year option on chase young oh chase young so can you explain a little bit about what not picking up the fifth year option means to a team and how could the 49ers maybe utilize him would that be somebody you would look at trying to bring in and if that is somebody how would the 49ers bring him in yeah so chase young obviously was a first round pick in 2020 brandon Ayuk's class so uh, i know this report is coming because ron rivera was like he he essentially said uh he, he didn't give a firm response on whether he'd pick up the fifth year option or not uh and so to me i think that the way that i mean if you're going to get chase young it's if they decline the fifth year option, you can get him because he's on a one year deal, a one year rental, and you don't know if the uh, if the if the commanders are going to um, obviously want to keep him long term. To me, I don't know how realistic that is, but the 49ers could look to trade for him with one year left on his contract if that fifth year option's not picked up. It would be around a salary of nine million dollars or so. I'd assume maybe ten million. I'm not exactly sure what Young's salary is at the moment, but it'd be around the range of nine to ten million dollars. I think it'd be intriguing. Young certainly has a lot of potential. I just don't think the commanders move him. I think that they'd be more so looking to, um, if they decline the fifth-year option, see how his fourth year goes and then franchise tag him um, if they can't reach a deal at the end of the year. Okay. So basically you're looking at Payne, Hargraves, and that's it. Like there's not another player that you're excited about that could be the splurge on the defensive line? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, I, I think though, if if we're talking about 
candidates that I, I'd pay significant money to, meaning in excess of $15 million, uh per year to, like the 49ers paid Traverius Ward. Those would be the guys. I, I, it's not that I wouldn't be excited about other guys. Like last year, Traverius Ward was – I know a lot of people like Stephon Gilmore. I like the Ward signing a lot more. Uh, I thought that the Ward signing was um, because he's 25 – Gilmore's 33 and the ward when you look at his contract it's really it was really team friendly in terms of the way that it was structured in terms of the guaranteed money and things like that so I do think that it's interesting I see Scott here bringing up Dalvin Tomlinson Tomlinson could be interesting because I don't think Tomlinson's gonna cost oh shoot I don't think Dalvin Tomlinson's gonna cost a lot of money this offseason so that's why he could be an intriguing uh defensive tackle guy to pick up I do know that um he's had um you know some uh sack not sack um pass rush kind of woos in a way um he, he's more of a run stopper but that's kind of what you want at times uh with those defensive linemen and i think that uh he, he could definitely be a guy who the, uh, the 49ers look for and he he's a high energy guy the 49ers will like that and he can be a nose tackle but um i'd assume plays probably better in the but we're talking we're talking splurge so deron yeah. Payne is there so let's say they strike out on defensive line right they still have this 15 million dollars that they're trying to give away right so who 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 can we get that'll make an impact i have a name go for it he was he he was a former saint most recently played for the eagles safety cj gardner man like what do you think about him if they don't if they can't bring in a guy like Deron Payne, knowing that Steve Wilkes is there, right? So Steve Wilkes obviously is a secondary. He's more known for his expertise in the secondary. Obviously, we have uh, Hufunga there locked in. Gibson is still questioning whether he wants to retire. It seems like you can't. if he does stay, he'll probably be with the 49ers um, for a one-year deal. And obviously, he played really, really well this season as well. But a guy like C.J. Gardner still pretty young um obviously is going to be commanding some big money great tackler out of the safety position uh, i would say probably better at um you know he, he reminds me of kind of what jimmy ward was able to bring somebody that could cover mm-hmm. a little bit better can be moved into the the slot if if you need him to what do you think about him if they can't because i think both of us are on the same page uh, obviously um Number one is going to be Deron Payne. If they can't get Deron Payne, what would you say about splurging and getting CJ Gardner? I would like the move. I just don't. Again, it's about the realisticness. The 49ers have shown that they're not a team that really likes to pay safeties that much. We've seen it with Jaquaski Tart. They didn't want to pay him. We've seen it now with Jimmy Ward, how they've lowballed him a couple of times. Remember, Jimmy Ward. Was he got more money from the last uh, the, the the then Oakland Raiders in 2020? He chose to sign for less money with the 49ers, took a pay cut, and signed for a deal under 10 million dollars a year in 2020. And now uh, the, they tried to lowball him again. I don't know how how much the 49ers would look to spend at a safety, but I do like the idea because obviously Chauncey Gardner Johnson is a guy who's versatile. He's a guy who can play in the nickel. 
He can be a big nickel, but he can also play safety. And the 49ers like these type of players, especially Steve Wilkes. I'm sure he's going to like it playing that robber role um, alongside Talano Hufunga. They can have interchangeable safeties. I, I think that those uh, that that definitely could provide intrigue. It's just what's the contract that Gardner Johnson's going to want? I think, I mean, Obviously, everyone's going to want him, but I think Jesse Bates would obviously be a huge splurge. I would not mind Jesse Bates on the 49ers, obviously, but um, it, I, I don't know how much the 49ers are going to look to spend money at the safety position, although it's certainly an intriguing option. I think they could, think though, that, look towards the draft instead. Do, do you think the the bringing in of a guy like Wilkes changes what they do in free agency as far as that? Whereas, you know— think, oh. Go for it. Uh, ask well, I was just saying because he's more of a secondary mind, um, you know, and like I said, I, I, I think Shanahan and Lynch always are going to go after defensive line first. That That's where they, they their bread and butter is as well. But knowing that there isn't a lot of options at defensive line worthy of, of splurging on, right? Um, so there's a few options. Let's say they miss on those. Uh, do you think that? Because I don't. I think the, the the little pushback that I would say is last year, I don't think any of us would have thought that they would have splurged on a corner because their uh, history up until that point. When have they paid a corner $14 million? Richard Sherman. They paid him three thirty nine. Okay, but what I'm saying is – But I, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Like breaking precedent in a way yeah, to me. They, yeah, to me. I don't mm-hmm. – I don't, Richard Sherman was three thirty nine, but I don't – they with the deal that they gave the deal that they gave uh the deal that they gave ward what i think was a little bit bigger than what we yeah three would have expected right and it was something that we didn't expect it's something that they didn't really do in the past is what i'm saying um so who knows i do think that there could be a chance that they that wilkes wants more talent in the secondary so mm-hmm. maybe they do go after a safety if they strike out on the defensive line. So I don't. I wouldn't put it out of the realm. I know that. I don't it, think. So. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. Because I, I know that it hasn't been what they've done, but I also think I know a lot of the faithful doesn't believe this, but I do think that the team has shifted in in, in some ways as far as what they do with personnel and, and and things like that. So I think that they're willing to do that if they find a big enough need, especially because they have Hufunga there. So if they could get a guy like um what like uh Gardner Johnson, then their safety duo is 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 set for some time. You know what I mean? Which is a, a really actually especially if Lenore turns into who they want it to be or they could get Mosley back, like that secondary is gonna be set for at least two or three years, which is something that I think the team would would like, you know, to not have to think about upgrading your secondary you kind of just have one continuity for the next two three years i think that that they definitely like it i think i i definitely won't push it out of the realm i think corner it was more a little more expected than a safety maybe this this year but i still think that safety is not out of the realm as for those schematic part because you talked about wilkes there are two parts that i want to mention i think that they should prioritize defensive line with wilkes's defensive scheme because wilkes is aggressive he likes to call blitzes he likes to he likes to kind of um ride with his defensive lineman and that's why because he trusts the he he trusts his scheme with the the way that his back end works 
but he also needs unique players. And I think that's where the versatility comes in of a guy maybe like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who can play several positions and also can take away certain parts of the field. So I, I think that it's certainly a possibility. I, I wouldn't mind it. And I think that if Deshaun Gibson does retire, uh, as some do expect, I think that you, you could go for that and kind of solidify that position. I also think the 49ers would be intrigued by several players in the draft at, at safety. This is a very deep and a very solid safety class. We'll see where they go uh, in, in that range. But I, I think that it's an intriguing idea for sure. So where, where if you had to pick right now and, and bet money, where what player do you think they bring in this free agency um, what what's that splurge? The the Charverius Ward type splurge that they made last season. Who's that splurge this year? As far as their ability to actually get get a player based off of what the market's gonna say and need and fit. Yeah, that's definitely a tough one, right? Because there's a uh, it's it's definitely an interesting free agency class, and the 49ers have several places where they could put their money but you don't necessarily know if they will put their money. Um, I, I think at the moment I'm going to shy away from right tackle. I think that it seems like Colton McKivitz might be the guy. I think I've got to go where uh, where I'm thinking, and it's, uh, it's defensive tackle. Uh, defensive line, defensive tackle specifically. I think that that's where they're going to look to put the money in. They they were very interested in defensive linemen at the at the uh, trade, trade deadline this year. Mm -hmm. Deron Payne was a guy float, uh, floated around in those talks as well, and I think that they have the interest in Deron Payne. And the the reason that I'm intrigued specifically by Deron Payne is because of how the contract could be structured. Ark Armstead right now is your defensive tackle, uh, really, of the present. I think Payne can be the guy of the present and the future, and you kind of carry over from Armstead to Payne after Armstead's contract's done. I don't know if I'd re—I personally would not touch Armstead's contract anymore. You've pushed back money already last year. I think that—I think you don't—you uh, you touch Fred Warner's contract, you can touch McCaffrey's contract, but not—and then Bosa's, obviously, but not Armstead's. I think those are the three players you see get touched, but— Armstead has two more years left on his deal. If you give Deron Payne a four-year deal, or uh, four, yeah, I'd say maybe a four-year deal, um, I think that you could structure it to where the the cap hits don't necessarily spike until the third and the fourth year. And so I think that that's where the 49ers could really maneuver, where they have a higher cap hit in the third and the fourth year, and have lower ones in the first two years to absolve some of that money that essentially Ark Armstead's uh, going to be worth. And I, I wouldn't be surprised also if they moved on from Ark Armstead next year. I know it's not necessarily a topic many are talking about, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they move on via a trade or via uh, an outright, uh, well, I don't know if it'd be a cut, but I wouldn't be surprised in that in that situation either, and they save $11 million there too. But in a paying contract, I think that the contract would be structured to where you don't spend, uh, like the cap hit is pretty low in the first year, but then increases as the years go on because salary cap will continue to increase. There's reports that within the next three years, it could hit $250 million and things like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's uh, that's the route they go and with the contract that they give. So you, there's a realistic path to where they could be able to give Bosa his contract and sign Deron Payne and and have both of them on this defensive line at the same time i think so yes because when you when you think about it right now they're going to shoulder bosa and armstead on, on these deals but essentially you're going to replace armstead's big contract where it's 20 million cap at a year for uh the next two years at least 20 million and i think it's 23 and 25 um 
you're going to essentially replace that with what Durant, Deron Payne's cap hit is while getting the production that Deron Payne has. I think that the, the this team is with the cap hit, uh, with cap extru- uh, sorry with cap increasing year by year and with the way that this team operates. I think you can afford having two big time defensive lineman contracts. That'd be great. I mean, to me, I, I put it on Twitter, and, and it seems like most people are agreeing with it. I think Deron Payne is everybody's number one choice if we could get him just based off of need and who's available and and who would who i think would fit with this team the best deron Payne definitely would be that guy so if we could get him that'd be great lynch if you're listening adam peters if you're listening shanahan if you're listening go out there parag make it happen go out there and get deron Payne and uh you know let's let's get this defensive line back to where we expect it to can you tell yeah, me man. before we before we leave, give me a dark horse, a dark horse free agent that the 49ers can look at that might come in and, and be able to uh be able to you know solidify this team anywhere on anywhere on the field. I have one name, so um I'll let you go. Okay. Through. Let me think about it. I want I want to hear you first. Let me think about it. So my my and I don't know if it's necessarily a dark horse, it's somebody I mentioned before, but um with Steve Wilkes, I definitely think they're going to be bringing in some secondary help. Somebody that he played with in Cleveland when he was coaching Cleveland is Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams is a is a free agent. He's um, you know a good good d- defensive back. He's great at tackling. Somebody who you know can play man and zone type of type of schemes. Familiar with um, Wilkes' scheme as well, and I think that's somebody that that fits a need and somebody that probably could be affordable for the 49ers to bring in um, to, to bolster up this secondary, because we, I think a lot of people are depending on the 49ers bringing back Emmanuel Mosley. And I just think there's going to be a lot of competition out there for him um, based off of just the 49ers coaches being everywhere um, right now. Uh, so I think a guy like Greedy Williams could come in and compete with Lenore uh, for that second cornerback spot um or even maybe move Lenore into to that slot if that's where you know if he could play there or I just think he'd be a great fit to have another veteran in there that could perform at a high level I think those are uh he's an interesting option Gritty Williams obviously I think he'd benefit from a uh, from a fresh start and and, I mean, the 49ers could provide that for sure uh, in Steve Wilkes' scheme, in a, in a scheme that he's known uh, as well. I think for me, I think that I'll go with – there are a couple of positions where I think where you talk about like the, the, the positions you might not be necessarily thinking. Tight end is one. There's a fairly solid tight end uh, – what do you call it? Fairly solid tight end market this year uh, in terms of – who's on the free agency market. Uh, I think it's led by guys like Mike, Mike Gesicki. I know Austin Hooper's a free agent. Dalton Schultz might be the top guy, Evan Ingram. Um, I think you could look for one of those guys. Uh, Tunyon's there as well, I believe, and Hayden Hurst. Like, one of those six guys, I think you could look to see who can be that tight end number two for the 49ers, a better tight end two, a, a guy who might fit their system a little better. I think that that's the position where I'd be looking for. I think the 49ers' ideal plan at tight end would be so you have Kittle, you have Charlie Warner. If you want to carry four, you sign one of those top six and then draft a guy. If not, then you sign one of the guys uh, to a deal, maybe not too much guaranteed money, but see uh, on a one year deal. 
to where it's a it's a friendly scheme for them, and then you draft a guy and have those two compete for ten and three. Yeah, I think definitely this is the year where the 49ers have to draft a tight end. Um, I know we're kind of running out of time, but maybe next 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 time we could uh, talk about free uh, draft strategy and, and draft strategy is going to be fun, man. Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll definitely talk about it on the next episode. But Sunil, it's been fun, man. A nice yeah, hour. Man. We get to talk about some free agency stuff. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, all of you guys in the chat dropping your comments on uh, the free agents that we talked about. I appreciate you guys keeping the chat popping and keeping uh, tuning in for the entire hour. Thank you guys so much. Any last thoughts, Neil, before we head on out? Nope. Just make sure you subscribe to both of our channels. And I know Rohan's getting more and more active um, streaming and things like that. You know, the goal is to, for me to do the same thing. So we love your support. Appreciate you jumping in. Yes, sir. Keep, uh, stay tuned, guys, because we'll be back soon, and we'll be talking about the draft in that next episode. So stay tuned. Follow on with the Rohan Chakravarti Show. Be sure to check out uh, So Real Sports Talk as well, because Sunil's uh, doing good stuff with his channel as well. Sunil, you gotta you got to take us with the outro, man. Absolutely. Stay safe, stay hydrated, and we'll see you very, very soon. Yes, sir. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.